Welcome to The Honest Report, a weekly podcast analyzing media coverage of the Arab-Israeli conflict, anti-Semitism, and radical Islamic terrorism. The condemnation of Kanye West is reaching fever pitch, intensifying after he was banned from Twitter for this anti-Semitic tweet. DEFCON 3 on Jewish people. Now one of the biggest names in sports facing backlash for spreading anti-Semitism, NBA star Kyrie Irving of the Brooklyn Nets shared a link last week on social media to a 2018 film that's been described as anti-Semitic. Here's your host, Rob Walker. On May 30th, Jan Grabowski, a Polish-Canadian professor and historian at the University of Ottawa, was scheduled to deliver a lecture in Warsaw on the Holocaust specifically on government attempts to suppress the degree of Polish collaboration during the war. But before Grabowski could start, a Polish politician smashed his microphone and began toppling speakers, accusing the professor of spreading, quote, historical propaganda. Grabowski is used to attempts to stifle academic scholarship on the Holocaust by authorities in Poland, and by extension, on the history of anti-Semitism in the country. His latest violent encounter is only the latest example of how the memory of the murder of six million Jews is being challenged in increasingly assertive ways across Poland. This week, Professor Grabowski joins us as our guest. Welcome to the Honest Report podcast. Professor Grabowski, welcome to the Honest Report podcast. Thank you for having me. Hello. Uh, it is our uh, it is our pleasure to have you here. Uh, you, of course, are uh, you're a noted historian uh, at the University of Ottawa, and um, you speak all over. You lecture about uh, the Holocaust, about Polish involvement uh, to, to the degree that there was in uh, in the Holocaust. And um, you were speaking uh, recently in Warsaw at an event. Tell us about what you were speaking about there, what you had scheduled to speak about. Uh, right. Uh, well, I was invited to um, to an academic institution called the German Historical Institute in Warsaw. It was a lecture co-organized by the institute and by my by the Department of History at University of Warsaw. Uh, and my uh, my talk, uh, my lecture, was supposed to cover the area of uh, well, the title was uh, Polish uh, increasing problems with the history of. Uh, memory or history of the Holocaust. And so not everybody wanted to hear that uh, that lecture being delivered, um, and it was disrupted. Tell us about that. Well, the thing is that for some time now in Poland, the atmosphere for in, in the surrounding independent scholars of the Holocaust has been, to put it mildly, uh, very hostile. And, and this hostility came from a very militant um, nationalistic Polish authorities uh, over the last uh, seven, eight years. And uh, the, this, uh, let's say, deformations or distortions of the history of the Holocaust have become one of the main goals of the Polish authorities in the memorial uh, area. So, um, and this, um, this um, attack, I would say, against the memory of the Shoah increased um, after the uh, very recent 80th anniversary of uh, of the uprising in the Warsaw Ghetto on April 19. Um, soon after, the authorities chose that particular moment to attack uh, with ferocious, I would say, energy and Holocaust researchers in Poland, one of who was denounced as an enemy of the people. So this atmosphere of uh, 
uh, hate, uh, um, emotions run high. It grew with Prime Minister chiming in, with the uh, Minister of Education leading the charge. Uh, and this was, let's say, this crescendo, the context in which my lecture started to pop up on the screen. Uh, of course, when I planned with the organizers the, the event, uh, it never crossed our minds that we would uh, deliver the lecture in the midst of this increased campaign of hate. Um, and when I arrived at the venue uh, last week, uh, I saw um, several police uh, cars with flashing lights, so I knew that there was trouble in the in the air. And indeed, there were nationalistic and even fascist uh, demonstrators outside who wanted to prevent me from speaking. And then the situation deteriorated to the point of a violent attack on me and... Uh, uh, with damage to uh, speaking equipment, to microphones, with, you know, with with uh, horrible things being said, but in a context already of uh, physical, uh, physical violence. So back up for us, if, if you would, uh, to 2018, when the uh, the Law and Justice Party in Poland uh, instituted this law, uh, which at the time they've since walked back a little bit the uh, you know the, the time in prison, but um, there was a threat of three years in prison to anybody who was accused of uh, essentially propagating, as they called it, misinformation um, that Poles were responsible in part for the Holocaust. Where did that law come from, and and help us understand just truly how detailed it was? More controversially. A new law makes it a criminal offence to attribute Nazi crimes to the Polish nation. Its critics fear it could effectively criminalise open discussion of the Holocaust. Right, I mean, the law has been in the works for a couple of years. They've, in, the four, in 2016, the nationalists started to, to muse about it. And I even wrote an article back in 2016 warning people that things were coming like this. Um, this kind and, and the law actually was um, geared against educators, scholars who would um, who would write about, um, let's say, various forms of uh, complicity of the Polish society in the in the Jewish catastrophe in Poland. But basically, the law um, was a sort of, we call it freezing, had to introduce this freezing chill effect. Um, it needn't be apply, applied, it was simply hanging over the heads of the suspects uh, and ready to use. And indeed, it was after, after several months, it was decriminalized, so the three years provisions have been withdrawn, but uh, the chilling atmosphere and the rest of the law remain in place, and... Uh, they have a dissuading, if you will, effect. Um, so the or simply they put fear into especially graduate students who well, might think about doing some work in this area. They won't. Uh, and the senior scholars who uh, will look at uh, what's going on to happen with them. Uh, funding cut and so on. So uh, basically this obsession with the past uh, in Poland, certainly surrounding the Holocaust, has increased to the point of policy making choices at, at state level, which is quite, you know, extraordinary, you can say. Israeli leaders have criticized the Polish law. So too have advocates for Holocaust survivors here who say it is plainly an attempt to rewrite history. And to what degree are these laws, as you said, they're certainly aimed at having a chilling effect, as you said, but are they uh, enforced at all? Or is it really meant to just sort of scare people away from entering these fields of study? 
Well, they are usually what happens is you have the government uses created or funded several so-called gongos. Gongos are so-called government organized NGOs or simply organizations uh, serving as proxies for the government. And there is a number of them in Poland. So they use them in order to initiate either um, uh, criminal charges against historians or civil uh, civil litigation, which happened in my case, for instance. Um, you have a civil lawsuit which uh, might destroy your reputation, which might destroy you financially. It flies mostly under the radar because there is no, um, let's say, incarceration um, on the uh, on the agenda, but it's equally it's equally damaging, and it uh, takes away people like me from research and puts us in a courtroom. So these laws are being used um, for the time being without much success. But as I mentioned, it's not the use of these laws, but rather uh, the threat of using them that is. Uh, that is cowing humanists and basically instilling obedience uh, among the researchers. And so what exactly is the threat that the Polish authorities see in scholars and researchers like you, that you're besmirching the good name of the country, that you're, that you're attempting to get some kind of a benefit? What is their concern exactly and their accusation against you? Right. I mean, the thing is that you have to understand that the Polish, um, let's say, historical memory and the national ethos has been built for generations around uh, World War II and about the uh, extremely, we can say, um, uh, noble uh, presentation of the Polish society as a victim of uh, of powerful neighbors, which is true, uh, and basically a nation without um, blemish. Um, unfortunately, these um, these statements, of course, are always untrue because uh, their history is painted in all shadows and colors of shades of black and uh, other colors, too. And so um, when historians like myself and my colleagues come up with uh, irrefutable hard evidence of complicity of certain segments of Polish society in, for instance, robbing, denouncing, murdering the Jews, which is something that has been confirmed, you know, hundreds and thousands of times. So the historical evidence is there. So this is a strike on this basis of foundations of this Polish national myth of own innocence. And the second thing, which is equally important, is that the Holocaust... Uh, is the only part of Polish history that anyone outside of Poland cares about. I mean, we wouldn't have this conversation if it were not for the fact that you are interested in the history of the Shoah. If I, so this is the only part of Polish history that the authorities do not control uh, and they want to control. So therefore, the frantic energy they deploy in order to muzzle or somehow to uh, frighten researchers away from these topics, which can simply explode the national mythology which they espouse. And so how has this legislation impacted uh, educational groups in Poland as well as the country's ties with Israel? Well, you know, it's, um, it's, it's, sometimes it's too early to say, but one thing is quite obvious. People are afraid of, uh, of let's say, saying things which can be seen controversial um, by the authorities. It is actually interesting when you, wa when you walk in that Auschwitz Museum and you listen uh, with one ear to uh, guides um, speaking in English. They are saying another version of history than the one they present in Polish to their Polish uh, um, guests. Uh, so as far as so that there definitely is a huge, huge, let's say, pressure 
on various institutions to conform, and usually they do in more subtle or less subtle way. Uh, the, for instance, the Jewish Historical Institute has been, or two years ago, um, um, there is an appointed director who is a faithful uh, soldier, foot soldier of the nationalists, and she turned around the work of the Jewish Institute into uh, one great apology of uh, Polish nation. Um, now, as far as the relations with the state of Israel are concerned, this is, you know, not my uh, as topic, so to say, per se, but um, but um, usually uh, people like Netanyahu, as long as he is and was in power, they found a common language with nationalists in Poland. Their disdain for democracy is just the same. Um, but it was even too much, the, let's say, the distortion and negationism of the Holocaust uh, prevalent in official Poland was even too much for the Netanyahu government in 2018. Therefore, there was this diplomatic, let's say, isolation of Poland for several months until the authorities here, I am speaking from Warsaw, uh, decided to decriminalize the law. So um, about international relations, it had, it's, it's actually quite disturbing to say, but uh, in 2018, Poland was uh, read a riot act by Trump administration, uh, who said that no major Polish politician will be seen by anyone in Washington as long as this law stands. And for half a year, no one was was from Poland was admitted to the, to the White House. Uh, so, you know, these things have an impact on international policy. Memory of the Holocaust, it's abuse. That's what it does. And so why now? You know, it's been almost 80 years, of course, since World War II ended. Is this something that's really just come to the fore in recent years or it's been simmering for a long time? You know, it has been simmering and it explodes from time to time. The thing is that if you look, um, if you look, you can make a correlation between Polish elections and um, and this anti-Semitic, I call it simply anti-Semitic card being played. Uh, so um, uh, you can see that uh, that uh, that political right wing political parties assume, and I fear justly that they can win some votes playing this hard. Now in Poland, in three months, we will have elections which are all important in terms of preserving what's left of democracy. And uh, this is not by accident that this uh, card with you know anti-Jewish card, I would call it anti-Semitic card, is being is being played because because nationalists believe that this is a way defense. They call it the defense of the good name of our nation. This is the way to not only consolidate their own electorate but to take some votes away from competing uh, parties. And uh, so that's what you internal policies are entirely too. Uh, let's say not to blame, but to can explain the reason why these, these things are uh, periodically flaring up. But the, the tension is constant. The flare-ups are from time to time. Is there an element of, or how much of an element, if at all, is there in sort of old-fashioned anti-Semitism, if you will, or is it really just a matter of political expedience on the part of these, you know, the, these politicians and authorities who want to push this kind of narrative? Right. I mean, you cannot separate the two. I mean, political expedience has has to have to do something with the fact that there will be people who will respond to anti-Semitic uh, cliches. And uh, so uh, it's difficult to pinpoint what percentage, but it's enough to uh, to just to give an example. In 2015, during the presidential, all important also presidential elections in Poland, there was a TV debate between the the. the uh, the uh, president uh, in office and his uh, uh, and his uh, um, challenger and the challenger who is today still the still president his 
opening question, actually, related to the history of the Holocaust and how dare the president, then president, um, let's say, call uh, polls or call for polls to apologize to Jews for something that they did. Um, and this was the opening question in presidential debate. Can you imagine any other country in the world where the most important debate and the more, most important election for the most important office would start with, with a, let's say, Holocaust negating a question on the part of the challenging candidate. And so where do you see this going? Is this going to get better before it gets worse, or is there any hope for it to get better? Look, I really don't know. Historians don't look much into the future. Historians look into the past. Uh, I don't know. Uh, the problem is that uh, here in Poland, the school programs have been uh, twisted around in such a way that they are now producing, you know, uh, young nationalists. Uh, not a word of what... Uh, we, let's say, independent historians wrote about the Holocaust over the last 30 years. Not a word of it has trickled to the school curriculum programs. So, you know, it's, uh, it is, it is a, it's a long-lasting problem that only perhaps generational changes can somehow, uh, hum, somehow slowly transform, I fear. Um, about uh, two years ago, there was a case where you had uh, you and another scholar had uh, researched that uh, there was a, a peasant, a villager during World War II, um, and you had found that he had essentially given up his Jewish neighbors uh, to the Nazis, and you were then sued, I suppose, by his niece, uh, who had accused you essentially of defamation. You initially lost, but then on appeal you had passed it. How how common is this going to be, this kind of um, litigation against researchers who say that there was this individual villager or Polish individual in World War II and their ancestors are now going to come after researchers uh, personally uh, citing defamation? Uh, well, the thing is, it was not it was not as simple as it seems because it was actually not the niece. I mean, she was the niece. She was signing the documents, but behind her was the machinery of the Polish state, and uh, paying money through proxies to have you know complete documentation, going after each footnote. And the trial was a show trial to show basically other scholars because they chose the most senior. Uh, scholars they had in the area, which is myself and my colleague Engel King, and uh, the message was clear: if we can tackle people of international, let's say, with international reputation and standing, uh, all the rest of you, uh, you know, be 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 nice and quiet. Um, so uh, so it didn't work to a full extent because we were exonerated; the lawsuit was thrown out. But the, but of course the message spread, right? Uh, do you want to go through such an ordeal, three years in court, as these two just went? And I believe that was the objective also the objective of the authorities. So um, uh, so whether it will happen, I don't think it happens frequently because it was a clearly, you know, a mounted operation by the state. Uh, and I don't think they would do it often, but they can do it. They have the unlimited resources. You know, if you have unlimited resources to distort the history, uh, then it's something that we historians have never seen. It is an unprecedented situation. You know, Holocaust deniers were a bunch of, of, of small-time crooks and fools, right, without any practically resources. They still are. Uh, and they are really no threat to our, let's say, to the to the memory of the six million dead. However, if you have a powerful European state devoted to to to, to negation of the Holocaust, then we have a problem. 
Well, well, thank you very much, uh, Professor, uh, for for your time and for your expertise. And uh, I really appreciate your sharing your time with us today. Thank you. Well, thank you very much. And uh, thank you for this kind invitation to your program. And that's today's edition of the Honest Report podcast. If you haven't done so yet, please subscribe to our mailing list, our podcast channel, and follow us on social media for the most up-to-date news. If you like what you've heard, please consider a donation to support our continued efforts at www.honestreporting.ca slash donate. Until next time, thank you so much for listening.